So guys, 21 Sundays have passed since we last gathered together as a church. It's pretty incredible. Sadly, we've missed 40% of our Lord's Day gatherings for 2020 because of the elders' decision and COVID-19. And though the governor of California and other California health officials have sought to close down indoor religious gatherings, or they have, they continue, praise the Lord, to allow churches to gather outdoors like we are doing right here. Praise God for the opportunity we have to worship Jesus Christ. Now, while we miss the company of the many who are not here and could not be here, it is still a wonderful experience to be able to gather together as a church. It is good to gather and experience all of the blessings we have of gathering together as a church, right? To see each other's faces, well, most of our faces, some of our faces, to talk and catch up, to have our spirits lifted in seeing how everyone is doing, and then also in worshiping together and all the things that we've just done. But, friends, there are even more foundational blessings of gathering, or should I say, of being gathered together here today and every Sunday that we gather together as a church. And I pray from this time that we are reminded of the grace of God in gathering, the grace of God in gathering. I pray that from this time, that is what we focus our minds on, and that's what we leave leave this place thinking about, the grace of God in gathering. Let me invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We are in verses 24 and 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Now, tonight we're going to be doing something a little bit different than normal. You know, typically we're walking through a book of the Bible, right? Jason's walking through Luke. I'm going to be starting the book of Acts next week. Uh, but this is a bit unusual, right? We're going to look at the topic of gathering, and we're going to look at how Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, what, what it has to say about this topic of gathering. Uh, so it's a bit of a topical sermon, but a topical exposition of the Bible nevertheless. And I hope that it is uh, nevertheless encouraging to you guys, as God's Word is always helpful. So think about that topic, right? The grace of God in gathering. To many people, I think it might seem a little bit strange to think of the grace of God in gathering together as a church. You, maybe, you, you're one of those people who think that church is just something we simply do. It's like, it's like taking in our car to get, you know, the, the 5,000 mile oil change once again. Or like going to the grocery store once a week to get groceries and whatnot. Right? Maybe you think that church is just something you do. You fit in your schedule. If that's the case, it makes sense that topics like why we gather in the first place and also how we have come to be gathered aren't really right on the forefront of our minds and then on our hearts. But in our passage today specifically, and then of course in the Bible as a whole, we're reminded that there is so much undergirding and sustaining our gatherings as Christians right here, right now. And in every Christian gathering, church gathering around the world, throughout space and throughout time, those gatherings that have taken place surely, steadily. In our passage specifically, once again, we see how God's grace undergirds and sustains our gatherings in the week in and week out as every single Lord's Day comes about and as we gather together as a people. Let me give you some background about the letter to the Hebrews. It was written to Christians to exhort them in the faith, right, to hold fast to Christ as salvation is only found in Him and in Him alone. The reason why such exhortations were necessary were that, were that these Christians were being persecuted. We can read that. 
I encourage you to go ahead and read that uh, this week. For example, you can see that they're being persecuted, just as many Christians around the world are being uh, persecuted. But not only were Christians being tempted to turn away from the Lord because of persecution, they were being tempted to turn away simply because they stopped caring. They claimed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but you know what? They didn't really find much reason to go on and continue following Him as the Lord. Though we focus on 10, 24, and 25, let's go ahead and read verses 19 to 25. Look there. And listen to all those themes, even here in these passages from 19 to 25. This is what the Word of God says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us, here's our passage today, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you guys remember the big idea We're looking at the grace of God in gathering. If you notice, there's basically a call to gather. Our passage is basically a call to gather. But before we talk about this call to gather, we have to to first see very clearly that God's grace undergirds and sustains the Christian gathering. This is point number one. God's grace undergirds and sustains the Christian gathering. What do I mean by that? Well, Christians, ask yourselves this. How in the world can... Can sinners be gathered together before the Holy God like we are right now? How is it that how in the world is it that sinners can be gathered together before the holy and all righteous God if it were not by grace? Coming together for church is not first and foundationally, right, something we gotta do. But it actually the spiritual realities behind what's going on here, if you're really if you're truly a Christian, the spiritual reality is that God has gathered us. God has gathered us. This is what I mean. The Bible says that sinners are unrighteous. Very familiar language if you're a Christian here. And therefore, we stand zero chance of gathering with the righteous God. Man was the one who rebelled against his loving creator, right? God created us to be in a relationship with him, a loving relationship with him, where he was our creator, He was our sustainer, our provider, our shepherd, our loving lawmaker, but we flat out rejected him. We abandoned him. We forsook him. And so instead of choosing love and wisdom, now, as sinners, apart from Jesus Christ, apart from his spirit, we choose to live for ourselves according to our own wisdom. Now, this is what the Bible says is simply sin. It's rejection of God. It's going against God and his will or his law. So you see there that given God is righteous... And given that we are unrighteous, we cannot just turn up to the sovereign one as if nothing is wrong. Think about your own human conflict with your loved ones, right? Think now about your guys' own human conflict with your loved ones that maybe even some of you guys are going through right now. What would you think of a husband who sinned against his wife, right, in some sort of heinous way? And though he made a covenant with his wife, he broke it. Go on and think more. What would your thoughts of him be given he knew that he so deeply hurt 
and saddened and confused his wife by his own actions and sins, but still did not care one bit to make things right with her. There was no repentance, no seeking reconciliation. Instead, the husband just goes on living life with absolutely no regard, no consideration for his wife, as is evidenced by having no regard for the marriage covenant he entered into. A husband would have to have the most selfish, self-serving, carnal attitude to turn up to his wife and say, what's the big deal? Who cares? What's the big deal? Like, where's my lunch? You don't have to experience this to know that this does not work. There is, in fact, a big rift between them, a broken relationship, all on account of sin. Now, the husband might say that everything is okay. The husband might think that everything is okay and even attempt to love as if everything is okay. But in fact, everything is terribly wrong. Friends, you realize that that is exactly what's going on in our spiritual relationship with God. Every man, as we are all sinners. Because of our sin, we caused a rift between us and our Creator. We've committed spiritual adultery against Him. And frankly, right, those who turn up to the Lord saying, What's the big deal? Can't you just give me that dream life that I always wanted? That woman, that man, the family, the job, the car? Those people also have some nerve. Just like the story of the husband. But you guys realize, right, that's our story. A grievous sin has been committed. We have committed a grievous sin. Relationship has been broken. And because God is righteous and just, and he is a king... Judgment, therefore, must be carried out. He is the king, after all. And the consequence, of course, of such judgment or of such sin is death. It is death even in hell. But this is where God's grace comes in. The remedy to our sin problem and our judgment problem comes entirely at the initiative of God and his sovereign grace in Christ. Remember that relationship that you broke? God reaches out in Christ. Though man was unrighteous and could not fulfill the, desire, the, the, the demands of God's law, God then sends Jesus Christ to live that righteous life that we should have so that now all who are in him might be declared righteous by faith in him and his work. Think about your judgment problem. Those sinners stood under God's judgment. The Bible says that God put forward, he put forward his eternal son to die on the cross as a substitution for you, Christian to bear your sin, to bear the wrath that you deserved, so that you then would be free, out from judgment, but then also brought into the presence of God. Those sinners were under the power of sin. Friends, you realize that Jesus Christ is the one who frees us from the power, that power, because of the resurrection from the dead. In his cross work and in his resurrection, Christ defeated sin, death, and Satan. Think about being cast out. Remember how Adam and Eve were cast out out of God's presence. Well, you see, friends, that in Christ we have been brought near. And where sinners once knew God as judge, right? We knew him as judge apart from Christ. Those who repent of their sins and believe on him, we can know him as Lord and Savior and know him as Father, loving Father. So you see there, right? What's the remedy to our sin problem? It is God and his sovereign grace in Jesus Christ. No wonder Christians have beheld Christ and his self-sacrifice on the cross for sinners and exclaimed in the language of 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, how great 
is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. That's grace, friends. Praise God that even though we abandoned Him, He, according to His own covenant love and His character, remained faithful to His people. And by His grace, He gathers His people to Himself, that is, those whom He has called. Those are the spiritual realities behind our gathering, church. So if you are a born-again Christian, you, Christian, have been gathered together. You've been gathered to God through Jesus Christ, all by His grace, and have been extended this, this permanent invitation to come before God the Father through the blood of His Son. So look at what this provides, right? Look at what Jesus provides there in verse 19. He provides us confidence in Christ and His cross work. So we need not fear, right? We can draw near with confidence. You look there in verse 21 there. We can also do this with full assurance of faith. Why is that? Well, given who Jesus is. That's why we believe on Him. We entrust ourselves to Him. Our great high priest who intercedes for us even right now. So guys, you realize that every gathering we have, we seek to remember God's grace for us in gathering us to Himself in and for Jesus Christ. I wonder, guys, if this is what you came here for. You know, there are so many blessings in, in gathering with God's people, catching up, hanging out. But the most important one, the most foundational one, is knowing and growing. Knowing God and growing in our relationship with God and in His grace in Jesus Christ. If you're visiting with us and know yourself not to be a Christian, this is why Christians gather. It's not to earn salvation or earn salvation points as if that could even happen. You know, as if going to church you know, saved us as if that's even possible, which it isn't. We gather as worshipers and followers of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. Attending church, we know, doesn't save us at all, but the Lord of the church does. And Christ is faithful to save even you, save even the worst of sinners, if you would repent of your sin and believe on Him. Why would a sinner not turn to Him? He who stands ready to forgive. He who is able to restore all and every single sinner who repents of their sins and turns to Him and calls upon His name. The gathering of the church is not something at its foundation that we do. It is something that God has, by His grace, already done and is doing by saving His people through His grace in Christ. But all this wonderful talk about the spiritual realities undergirding our gathering uh, you know, don't think that the physical gathering is unimportant. According to Scripture, it is very important to God. Very important to God. So much so that God commands us. He calls us, summons us to gather as His people. This brings us to point number two. Point number two, the call to gather. The call to gather. Look there at uh, verses 24 and 25. The wind is blowing my Bible around, so I closed it. Give me a moment. Twenty-four and twenty-five. You see that this is a call. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see there that this is in fact a call. We see how important the church gathering is to the author of this passage. And we see it even more when we understand the passage in the context, right, from verse 19. 
there are in this in this paragraph three calls or exhortations in our passage. Go ahead and look there. Look in the passage. You're going to find it. I know we included the passage in your bulletin, but actually open your Bibles. It's God's Word. We want to encourage biblical literacy. So open your Bibles if you have it. You'll see there that there are three calls or exhortations in verse 22, verse 23, and verse 24. In verse 22, what's the exhortation? The author exhorts them to Christian confidence because of who Jesus is. That's confidence based on who Christ is. And then in verse 23, he exhorts Christians to perseverance in their Christian faith. Let us... Hold fast. So in verse 22, there's a let us. Verse 23, there's another let us. And then in verse 24, right, he exhorts them in the Christian life. So it's confidence because of Christ, and then it's perseverance in their Christian faith, and then in 24, it's encouragement in the Christian life. And then and then uh, he addresses Christian love. So I'm going to explain this more, but addressing their minds and hearts before Christ himself in their faith and in their lives it's actually specifically tied to the gathering of the church. Okay, you see that there? He's saying, look, you Christians have confidence in the Lord. Next. You Christians, let me encourage you, hold on to your profession of faith, because God is faithful. And then right there in the next one, he basically is saying, love one another by gathering together as my people as you wait for Christ's return. That's basically the logic right here. Now, you might wonder, okay, how exactly is this a call to gather? Isn't it a call to consider one another or a call to consider how to stir up one another, as the ESV translates it? Well, it's actually both. It's a call to love one another, but you've got to see the location that he's talking about here. What's the location that the author highlights? It's the regular gathering of the church. That's like the, the location and the sphere that the author highlights, at least here in this passage. There's other ways that we can look at Christian love and how this manifested. But here in this passage, he's talking about the Christian faith and love being evidence in self by regularly gathering. Let me encourage, let me encourage you to look there again, verse 24. We have the call, right? Let us consider how to stir up one another, that fellow members of the church, to love and good deeds. Now, when you see love and good deeds, don't think empty morals. Don't think empty morals. Think living in Jesus, Living for Christ. This here is Christian love. These are the works that Christ himself, right? As he says, good works. These are the good works that Christ himself has given us to do. So we might, we most likely have examples of this in verses 32 and 34. If you can skim there. What's the good works that they're doing? Where they're suffering for the faith? As they consider to continue to persevere in their profession, trusting in Jesus. You see there also that they are loving other Christians by having compassion on those who suffer exercising brotherly love for those who suffer right there in their own midst. This love, see, is tied directly to Jesus. Don't think empty, Christian, boring morals. This is morality with a backbone because it's all driven by Christ and His Spirit, who is the moral one, the good one, the holy one, who helps us live like this by giving us His very Spirit. So this love here is tied directly to Jesus. There is faith, there is hope, and there is love, all right there in 19 to 25. So this is the call. He then goes on to explain how this is to happen. Now, what's the logic? Go ahead and look there again. We want to take apart the words of the Bible to understand it. The logic is simple there. He gives us a negative example and then the positive. The negative and then the positive. What's the negative? Like, I want you guys to consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Negative example. Not being like them. Don't be like them. What have they done? Well, it's clear. They've neglected the regular gathering of the church. They've neglected 
meeting together, as is their habit. They, they, they made this a practice. They adopted it as like the way of life. And then they turn to the and then the author turns to the positive. But this is what I want you to do, guys. But encouraging one another. So you got the they, the bad example. They neglected to meet together. And keep in mind here, this neglect is not just I forgot. This is a pattern of neglect. It's actually forsaking. It is deserting. It is abandoning. And this abandonment, abandonment is exactly what God had against Israel. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 4 records this charge that God brings against Israel. A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have, what, forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Guys, you see here, this is covenant language. Apparently those who neglected to meet together they didn't really see much reason to continue their covenant commitment to the Lord of the universe. Despite Christ being supreme. Despite him having all the pro- despite him having all of the authority and being the one through whom all of God's promises are fulfilled, and so they just abandoned him. But he turns to the positive, but you what do I want you to do? Encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What is contrasted is there forsaking the gathering some other people forsaking the gathering, and then his readers continuing in the faith, in the hope, in their love, as evidenced by gathering. As evidenced by gathering. Specifically, he says, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, when you think encouraging, don't think like, you know, we come together to say generally nice things so that we can build each other up and feel, make each other feel better. Well, that's actually not what he means. This word encouraging or encouragement or Basically, the Greek word there could be translated exhortation. And it carries with it ideas of encouragement, but also with rebuke and reproof according to God's truth. Think exhortation in the community gathering of the church. For example, the author tells them to go ahead and turn to uh, Hebrews 3.13, if you want to see. Hebrews 3.13, he tells them to exhort one another. Same word, exhort one another. For what purpose? That we might feel great and wonderful and everything will be okay. No, actually, it says there that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then you can look over to 1322 if you want here. The author says specifically that through this letter, through the words that he's talking about, which is basically an exposition of various Old Testament passages, he is exhorting them in the faith to draw near to Jesus Christ with confidence and full assurance to persevere in their profession of faith, and then also to continue in love and good deeds as Christians bought by the blood of Christ. So that is what is intended. He's talking about exhortation in Christ according to the Word, which is exactly what's going on here. And I pray which will continue going on between one another after we're done here. Friends, that's what's intended here. It's like he's saying, so let us then as the people of God gathered together by His grace Consider how to stir up one another to live for Christ, not like them who abandon God in covenant unfaithfulness, but as those who truly love God. Let us exhort one another in the word of God, whether by encouragement or rebuke or reproof, and all the more as that day is drawing near. You see the implication. It is in the gathering of members of the local church that such covenant love is demonstrated, certainly from Christ to us, 
but also from us, Christ, and between the members of the body of Christ, thinking about Christ's covenant love to us. In our gatherings, we're reminded all over again about God's grace to us in Christ, which we've already talked about. Christ feeds us his gospel, which is what's going on right now, where we remember again about his sovereign grace and love and his saving grace in Christ. Take baptism in the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate soon. We are reminded of God's covenant signs, that he is who he says he is and he will do what he has promised. And we see this most clearly in the death and resurrection of Christ, his broken body, his shed blood for his people. And then thinking about our covenant love to Jesus Christ. Well, we demonstrate our covenant love to Christ in gathering where we preach, where we hear his word, where we submit to it, and where we sing him the, pri- the praise and ascribe him all of the glory and the honor and the power. And we also do this, let's say, when the church baptizes people, as we probably will be doing in the next month because Christine needs to be baptized. We do so when the church baptizes people into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We do this as we gather together as a church in celebrating the Lord's Supper in remembrance of our Lord who shed His blood for us. As we look to each other and say, He did this for you. Yes, you. And all of this we do, of course, with one another as brothers and sisters bought by the blood of Christ. This gathering is where we are instructed, encouraged, and exhorted to live for Jesus to live like and then also to live for Christ and where we are spurred on to continue in the works that God himself has already laid out for you. And those very works which we will be reminded as we look at our church covenant very soon. So in terms of application, church members, as we gather to experience and embrace Christ's covenant love towards us and as we gather to express our own covenant love towards him and then to one another, God forbid we gather and say, yeah, we should gather because we simply want to return to normalcy for our own sakes. Because this is just what we do as Christians. We gather together. But we do that apart from God's sovereign grace. Apart from reminders that it is only by His grace that saves. Apart from the fact that He is the one who has gathered us to Him and given us this invitation to worship Him. God for. God forbid we would do that detached from all of those biblical truths. We gather, friends, for the glory of Christ. And in hearing his word, we respond relying on his grace, just as Israel did at Exodus, just as Israel did in, with, uh, with Joshua, as they were going to take the land. We gather together by his grace and his spirit. We hear the word and we say, yes, Lord, we will gladly do it. You see why forsaking or abandoning the gathering is actually such a serious thing, it may show apathy to the Lord of the universe himself. Again, the wonderful thing about Christ is that he stands ready to forgive all those who repent of their sins. And so this should lead us to uh, seek out those, well, number one, it should lead us to repent of our own sins. If we are in that category, we simply find ourselves apathetic to all the things that I just said. We should repent of our sin knowing that he forgives. We should also seek out those who appear apathetic. We should actually call them to gather together with the church, together with his people. Might there be a rebuke in the word? Certainly, like there might be right here. Yeah, but man, you see the blessings. Where we might want to be at the church least, it's in those moments, right? Where we might want to be at the church least, 
That's when we actually need to be in the church most. Because it's where we're reminded of God's grace given to us again, showered upon us again in, the, in God's love, in Jesus Christ, to sinners who don't deserve it, as the word is preached, as you hear again, even in your own failures, about the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. We hear about His righteousness and His holiness in which He will judge the world, which certainly gives us pause and might be, make us a little wary but then it leads us to once again turn to the Holy One, Jesus Christ, and have confidence and full assurance in our faith, knowing that His sacrifice has been made once and for all for His people. Perhaps through rebuke and exhortation, those that we seek out, maybe they actually would soften their hearts and be moved to ongoing repentance and faith. Friends, do you know anyone like that in your circle of friends? If so, let me encourage you to pick up your brother and sisterly duty of love and considering one another and urgently exhort them every day that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There is so much at stake because we know that the day will come where Christ will come to save His people and He will also judge those who oppose Him. It's interesting here in this passage in verse 25 that the return of Christ should cause us to gather more urgently. Do you gather urgently? Did you urgently put it on your calendar to block out 5.30 to 6.30? Urgently. Because of the reality of the return of Jesus. This brings us to point number three, our last point, the urgency of gathering. We see this urgency communicated in the last section of verse 25, but... This is, this is he's saying, this is how I want you guys to, to stir up one another, to consider stirring up one another to love and good deeds, not gathering like them, but encouraging one another, exhorting one another and teaching. And all the more, all the more, as you see the day drawing near. This day refers to the return of Jesus where he will once again gather all of his people to himself once and for all. It is in light of that end times gathering of his people that we gather right here, right now. Right? It is in light of that end times return of Jesus Christ to gather us together to himself once and for all. It's in light of that that we do this. Then, then, at that time, all of God's covenant promises will be fulfilled. And Christ, the bridegroom, will be reunited with his bride, the church, for eternity in person. But now, though what we taste is very much real, it is real and it is good, it is just a foretaste of our heavenly banquet with Christ, where we will gather with every single believer throughout history, throughout the world, to worship and to ascribe Christ the glory that He deserves. Everything you, Christian, know now, you will know fully then. Though we know the steadfast love of Christ now, we will know it to the full then. Though we have been saved now, we will know final salvation then. Though we gather and see Christ by faith now, then we will see Christ face to face. So we gather this day, this time, as an expression, as an expression of our longing and even to cultivate that longing for what is to come on that day in Jesus Christ. What we do here right now is real, but we do it in light of all that will come to fulfillment. So in light of the Lord's return, let's return back to our verses. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging, exhorting one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Praise God for His grace in gathering us together to Him in Jesus Christ. Certainly we don't know what the future is going to hold in terms of how our gatherings might change. I have no idea in regards to COVID. But as we gather, may we pray that we so long to be with Jesus and all of His people on that day that we would always, always, eagerly, urgently make it our aim to be with Christ and His people here every Lord's Day. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, we thank you that in your sovereign grace and in your powerful grace, in your grace in Christ which overcomes the power of sin and death and Satan, we thank you that you have so lavished your love upon us and called us to be your children. You have gathered us to you by your grace in Christ. Lord, we pray indeed that you would take these words by your spirit and you would impress them upon our hearts so that we would indeed have confidence to go to Christ given who he is, that we would indeed persevere in the faith given God you are faithful to protect us, and that we would consider one another or consider how we might stir one another up to love and good deeds and live ultimately for you in every single aspect and sphere of our life. God, help us do this. We rely on your grace. And as we turn now to take the Lord's Supper, God, we ask that you would remind us of what love and good works are so that we might do them by your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.